0: On Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, we take a cinematic excursion through the work of groundbreaking Filipino character actor Vic Diaz. to whatever happened to vic diaz on this episode we're looking at serio h santiago's firecracker from 1981 starring jillian kesner ken metcalf ray malonzo and of course vic diaz as grip no that's his he's not a grip he's okay <laughs> i'm liam o'donnell and with me as always is the gladiator doug tilly how you doing doug
1: I'm doing really great, Liam. Uh, This was a ridiculous movie to have to watch and talk about. I think I maybe expected it to be slightly ridiculous, but it really is, for a movie that I don't hear much about and really haven't heard much about, it really is an absolutely astoundingly silly movie. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot we'll have to talk about plot-wise,
0: soundtrack-wise, even talking about this kind of martial arts film. But before we jump into the movie proper, I wanted to acknowledge something that, uh, uh, you know, listeners who've been paying attention for a while probably know, which is that we have previously discussed the work of our director today, Sirio H. Santiago, uh, who uh, – uh, why, why, why have we discussed this person before, Doug? Do you remember?
1: Well, I mean – For the episode on Vampire Hookers, but also simply because he not only is featured um, quite heavily in Machete Maidens Unleashed, the documentary about Filipino exploitation movies, but also he might be the, if not uh, in the top three, premier Filipino exploitation directors ever.
0: Yeah, I mean, his filmography ranges from titles that are like well-known, beloved, to titles that have functioned as punchlines to someone's joke. Somewhere to things I've never heard of, but just on the title alone, I think I kind (laughs) of want to see that. What is that? Uh yeah, so uh, people might know him. I you know I first became familiar with his work actually with a movie called Savage uh, that we've actually screened before uh, at a at a uh, all nighter right. What what was yep. that event we screened it at? I forget. What yeah yeah, it was. we
1: did an all nighter last uh, last year when uh, yeah. after the after the uh, pandemic started we wanted to brighten people's day. Liam mm-hmm. and and you did make us watch Savage at like what was it five in the morning. Yes. <laughs>
0: I feel good about that. That was a gift I gave to you. Oh, yeah.
1: No, that's a very entertaining movie. It's just interesting that this director... Making these uh, exploitation movies in the Philippines, that he touched on this, these different genres, right? Because that's very much so a many. black exploitation movie.
0: Speaking of which, one of his titles that people probably have heard of is TNT Jackson. It's it's a film that I heard about long before I knew it was set in the Philippines, right? Um, and one of the things that you actually discovered and pointed out to me, I had no idea, is that this movie we're discussing today is a remake of TNT Jackson done by the same director.
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting... (laughs) I think it's a really interesting kind of note about Firecracker, which is beat for beat, character for character. It's almost a direct remake of a movie that's a exploitation movie it's, that also has kind of martial arts in it because in 1974, mixing martial arts and exploitation was a very common thing, TNT Jackson starring Jeannie Bell. I've seen that movie, it's been quite a while since I've watched it, but Ken Metcalf, who's one of the supporting players here, he's in that movie as well. Uh, I can't remember if he plays a very similar character, but plot-wise, it all plays out almost exactly the same, except in the, that movie, it, she, she, she's searching for her brother, while in this one, she's searching for her sister.
0: And apparently he made this film, uh, he remade the film again in 1992 as Angel Fist, another movie that I have not seen, but sounds like I want to see it.
1: Again, 1992. I mean, I guess it's just a way, if you really want to feature a female uh, protagonist in a way that's kind of trying to launch her into being a star, which is what Firecracker certainly is, uh, this uh, this plot structure, I guess, was very reliable for him. But yeah, Angel Fist, that one starred Katya Sassoon uh, of the... Sassoon Millionaire uh, Fortune, <laughs> the, I guess the hair product of uh, um, Fortune. She was well-known at the time as sort of like a model, and, but she passed away, I think, very early. I have not seen Angel Fist either, but uh, that title is certainly incredibly generic, uh, certainly compared to Firecracker. <laughs> oh, The actual term Firecracker I don't think actually applies to anything in this movie. No, I guess we just, uh, we're just supposed to think that the lead character, hey, for all intents and purposes, she's a Firecracker.
0: In a way it kind of connects the film to its predecessor tnt jackson at least they're both
1: hey explosive. you know, i didn't even consider that but a tnt is much more impressive than a yeah, fucking firecracker <laughs> <laughs> so you've already said
0: i think to an extent why do you think that's the only reason like you know to do the same story three times could just be seen as hubris or an attempt to save money on scripts but, um, but I don't know, is, is there something compelling about this female warrior narrative that would have this director who's done almost every kind of story available to an exploitation director he's done? Why this one three times?
1: I mean, I mean, frankly, Almost any straight-to-video martial arts film from the late '80s, early '90s has a plot that's already very similar to this. Anyway, it wasn't Blood Fist just like this. You know, his brother gets killed, and he had to, has to head to a right, uh, right. to a country he's not familiar with, and he gets involved with a martial arts tournament. I mean, this is this is the stock plot. So the fact that they can uh, kind of rearrange it, put another person in the lead, it's not like all the dialogue is exactly the same, and certainly the feeling of a black uh, woman-led film in the mid-70s compared to this film uh, starring a white woman in the early 80s, there is a different kind of um, uh, vibe that these movies give out because of that. And the soundtracks and things like that are very different. And the soundtrack is something we'll talk about in regards to Firecracker in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think the different feel is enough to uh, to distinguish them. If these weren't all, the three movies weren't all made by the same director, maybe nobody would even have noticed.
0: I do think there's some strong differences between at least TNT Jackson and Firecracker, thanks to one of the producers, Roger Corman, uh, requesting some changes, but we'll get into that in a sec. (laughs) Still, I'm assuming you prefer Firecracker to TNT Jackson because you're uncomfortable with strong black leads.
1: Well, I see you're trying to set me up a little bit here, but I guess (laughs) I can't be angry since that's my role when I uh, host these shows. I actually prefer... I prefer TNT Jackson as a movie, even though, in my if my memory is correct, the only prints that are available for that tend to be pretty rough looking. Uh, the firecracker is available in a much more kind of uh, attractive looking um, version that, that that's uh, available. So we watched it on Tubi. It's 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 pretty well available, but I do. Enjoy, again, the vibe, if that's the correct word, the the feeling behind TNT Jackson Moore. And I also have to be completely honest, and this is giving away some of my feelings about the movie today, I prefer Jeannie Bell to uh, our lead that we'll be talking about today as well. Uh, not a, I don't mean to be extremely critical, but in terms of uh, women kicking ass, I think she's just a little bit more believable.
0: Well, you've always hated Raw Force. I'm not surprised you hate this woman. I love uh, Raw Force. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Uh, Well, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about our actress. We're going to talk about the soundtrack, the martial arts, the possibly entirely unnecessary nudity. And of course, we're going to talk about our man, Vic Diaz, right after this break. Stick with us. Cracker, see Jillian Kestner, grand prize winner at the Black Belt Olympics. She'll mix seduction with destruction in the screen's first erotic kung-fu classic. A young karate expert searches for her brother's killer in Hong Kong. It's barely the plot of 1981's Firecracker. Wait, is she supposed to be in Hong Kong? So uh, I'm glad you've already interrupted, Doug. I don't think she is, but it's not clear. They never actually name... According to my memory, I could be wrong, they never say. It's just, she's white, she's in a new place. I think... Anyone watching it who has watched a number of these movies would immediately identify where she's at as the Philippines. <laughs> I mean, it's it could be the
1: dead giveaway is all the Filipinos, in yeah, it. <laughs> yeah,
0: but even even more so, there are there maybe are parts of the Philippines that look like other parts of Asia, but this this looks like the Philippines to me again, based upon Filipino movies. I don't know, maybe mm. maybe if I live there, I might feel differently, but. Watching the movie, I thought, this is clearly the Philippines, but they never say it's the Philippines, so I, I don't okay. know. Fair enough. But as we've already said, directed by Sirio H. Santiago, we've already talked about a lot of the stuff that uh, he's directed, uh, including Vampire Hookers, Cover Girl Models, things like that. Um, also co-written by Ken Metcalf, uh, who, as we've already said, uh, was in TNT Jackson, uh, produced by New World Pictures, which means our man Roger Corman, and uh, the music... Uh, We'll just say it right now, and we'll come back to discuss it more. Clearly from Shogun Assassin. I guess it could be from somewhere else, but uh, it's from Shogun Assassin, right, Doug? I mean, it's the Shogun Assassin music.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think Shogun Assassin came out in 1980, and it had a whole new composed soundtrack for it, so and Roger Corman produced it, so uh, I guess uh, why not double dip a little bit, use that uh, soundtrack in another place, but I'll tell you, in that opening scene where it's kind of like a karate exhibition, I, I I picked it out immediately. I was like, what? That's the Shogun
0: Assassin music. No one who's seen Shogun Assassin will miss it. There's uh, You'll at least feel a nagging feeling of, I've heard this before, what is this? Why is this so familiar? It's entirely distracting. Um, As we said, this movie stars Ken Metcalf. It also stars Jillian Kesner, who, as I said, I know from Raw Force. Uh, Also Darby uh, Hinton, Ray Malonzo, Pete Cooper, Don Gordon-Bell, Carolyn Smith, uh, and of course, Vic Diaz. Uh, Before we get into too much about this insane choice with the music, as well as a number of other insane choices in this movie, I want to get your overall thoughts here, Doug. What did you think of Firecracker?
1: I mean, it's a very goofy martial arts movie, and it's probably a good thing that it has a very reliable structure to it, because otherwise, you don't want to be you don't want to be confused by the plot in a movie that already has a lot of confusing elements, um, <laughs> such as whether Jillian Kestner actually has any martial arts skill whatsoever. The advertising for this suggests that she has multiple black belts, just like uh, the characters in the movie say. Uh, from what I've read, there's not no actual proof of that in the world. And when you see her fight in the movie, it's hard to believe that she's had any experience doing it. That said, we've seen before lots of very talented real life martial artists who look very kind of wooden when they're moving around because real martial arts isn't like stage or film martial arts. So that could be the key there. And I don't wanna be too accusatory in regards to that, but I will say it is very strange to see a martial arts movie where a martial artist has to do a lot of kicking, where their leg never goes higher than their waist. Like she can't get her leg up for the kicks. And I noticed it every single time, it's so funny. She's just like kicking people in the side again and again and again. This movie also makes use of a lot of doubling for her character. So every once in a while, she'll be moving around kind of stiffly and then it'll switch an angle and uh, someone in a not so great wig is doing a lot of flips and moving around a lot very quickly. And then it just cuts back to her again Again, I don't want to knock Jillian Kessner uh, too much. She's fine in the scenes where she's not fighting. It's just weird uh, to see her in a martial arts film like this where she really has to carry a lot of the load of the fighting. Uh, I mean, again, it's a very easy-to-follow plot. She goes to this foreign land, I guess an unidentified one, to look for her sister who was a journalist. She gets mixed up in this kind of underground fighting world. Uh, She actually uh, starts to have a relationship with one of the... Underlings of the big bad boss, and uh, they get very close. Uh, she knows that he's involved in some way with her sister's murder. She discovers that he was actually her murderer, and then the movie basically ends with all the baddies getting arrested and her killing this guy in an extremely graphic and surprising way. Uh, I guess I'll give it away right now. She has two sticks, which is something that she learns. She learns stick fighting in the movie, she has these two sticks, she takes them and jams them in the guy's eyeballs, <laughs> and it is by far the highlight of this movie. Uh, so I found it kind of satisfying because when things got a little too stodgy and boring, they throw in something very silly, but this is definitely a uh, a lacking martial arts movie in terms of the actual action.
0: I'm glad you brought up uh, what I would like to call um, the anti-Chekhov's gun sticks. Because we're given a very (laughs) special scene that's like, these sticks are for defense. They're not designed for offense. That's why they're not sharp. They're blunt because they're for defense. And then she stabs a guy's eyes out with them, thus proving you don't need a sharp point to be uh, to be deadly. It's <laughs> it's crazy. It's literally the opposite of what you would expect. But on the other hand, I guess it kind of works. It's certainly gross. That's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about Julian Kessner. I don't know about you. I literally only know her from one other film, Raw Force. And I wanted to talk with you about it, because I know that you are also a fan of the movie, even though mm-hmm. I made fun of you and said you weren't. <laughs> Is she not better at this in Raw Force? Because I feel like she is. Uh, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember her being quite as stiff. And, and I'm not saying the, the martial arts in Raw, raw Force is overwhelming. Uh, it, it tends to be a little stiff overall. But I don't remember her being this not great at kicking uh, yeah. in Raw Force as she is here. Is, is my memory
1: off? I think it has to do with how much she showcased here, right? And sure. they have no one around her to really help. It's They do obviously have some fine martial artists in the cast. We're going to talk about Ray Milanzo b- before we're done here, someone who I have a lot of time for, and I think he's really impressive in this. Um, and, and he actually went on to a very substantial political career afterwards. He, he has a very Bruce Lee-ish look. Um, and, and when he's on screen, it's just like, oh, right, they have people who can do this. But like even when it comes to Ken Metcalf, he's not a very impressive... Uh, at least visual martial artist. So she really has to be at the center of attention during a lot of these fighting scenes. So any bit of awkwardness I think is magnified and amplified by that. So I, I mean I I again, she passed away young. it's it's a very sad story and she, it's not like she's a terrible actress or anything along those lines. but I think Roth Forest just has enough silliness and group uh, fights going on that it's a lot easier to uh to ignore any stiffness that she might have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do want to be clear. We're being a little rough on her specific martial arts performance. I don't think she's bad in the role. Um, and, and you know, there's not – I'm not saying a lot is even asked of her per se. But, you know, looking at her IMDb, this is not the only martial arts film she did. I feel like um, there was perhaps an opportunity for her to be a specifically martial arts star. And, and mm. I got to agree with you. Uh, her performance here in those scenes is not – super strong and that could be the choreography maybe she'd be better at a different fighting style i don't know what it is uh but I maybe do it wanna... was just an
1: experience thing right raw yeah. was made made yeah. after firecracker so maybe it was developing that that comfort but i mean it's not like she, again she went on to do a bunch of martial arts movies this was this period this 81 82 after that she just went on to kind of more standard roles
0: yeah that's fair but i but i think there was a bit of a push. For a little bit, for that to be her career, and maybe that's because she the karate thing was real. Again, you said it, but I want to reiterate to people: I've seen a ton of eighties martial arts movies with award-winning martial artists, and those movies sucked because those people didn't know how to perform. Meanwhile, Jackie Chan was a dancer. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's keep in mind: like being able to actually beat someone up doesn't mean you're exciting on screen. You know, I've I've read enough things to know that before his film career, uh, Steven Seagal was. Is actually a deadly man. That is a tough man. Uh, you put him on screen, though, and I think, what's up with Grandpa? I don't know what he's... I don't know what ponytail Grandpa's doing right now. I don't know. I mean, how, I've how always considered,
1: like, Chuck Norris, who legitimately was a very high-level martial artist. I, I find, like, aside from Way of the Dragon, is there any real notable... Fight from any Chuck Norris movie. I mean, it's just his reputation as a tough guy, which it was enough in the 1980s and 90s for people to to develop a film career around, even if they are lacking in charisma, which someone like Steven Seagal, I would say, is. So I, you know, I can see why they thought they could build it, and and you know, there is an element of me that wants to think, hey, you know, a female martial artist, there's. You know, Cynthia Rothrock became a big star in the late 80s. This movie is kind of ahead of its time. But then Roger Corbin stepped in.
0: (laughs) Right, and he made sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to get to that in a sec. Before we do, although thank you for bringing up Cynthia Rothrock because – um i would actually say she didn't get half as big as she deserved because she was always tough as nails just hmm. just the best anyways okay for people who don't that's that's a footnote for people who don't know find yourself some cynthia rothrock movies okay i
1: think a lot i mean again not to to uh to kind of belay the point but with when it comes to cynthia rothrock i think it was the time that she arrived in the U.S. to start starring in movies, there wasn't a Hong Kong influence. And we if you see her in, in those Hong Kong movies, she's so incredible. But a lot of the American movies that she made are very generic because they didn't know sure. how to make movies like that at that time.
0: Right, 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 right. That's fair. Uh, speaking of uh, knowing how to make movies like that, let's talk about this music, huh? Um, did you find uh, the straight rip of the Shogun Assassin soundtrack it enhanced your viewing experience, or it maybe distracted you from appreciating Firecracker.
1: Look, this isn't a very polished movie in a lot of ways. Uh, it's kind of clunky, and even though Sergio Santiago is obviously a very experienced director, it, it's hard to feel like he's very engaged with this. I mean, this movie is literally seventy-seven minutes long—not a lengthy uh movie in any way and and it feels like a movie that just wants to get over with so anything that you can pick out that's like hey i like this hey they may be cheap thrills but they're thrills all the same i enjoy the soundtrack a lot every time it kicked in i felt that kind of propulsion and it is a kind of a kick-ass soundtrack so yeah it didn't bother me um i liked i like it just like i like it when Hong Kong movies will sometimes steal from Hollywood soundtracks and just stick them in. It made it actually feel maybe a little more legitimate because the 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 kung fu movies of 1981, you know, you maybe you'd hear a bit of the Star Wars theme or something like that in there. It's not an uncommon thing.
0: I found it a little distracting, but that might be possible because it took me longer to figure out what it was. So I just kept thinking, why is this so familiar? It's driving me crazy. <laughs> so um we're gonna get into a second why. This element of the film was so present, but before we do, I just want to ask for your opinion on it. Um, this film is not just a martial arts film; you could argue it is a martial arts film and erotic thriller. And I just want to know, Doug, does, is that a is that a flavor combo you're into? Is that a is that a chocolate and peanut butter for you, or is that a raisin and Tabasco for you?
1: I mean, that almost sounds like some of those early '90s Hong Kong category three movies, right, where they would mix sometimes big action with um, explicit sexuality in, in a combination that, hey, it works for me, that's it's all exploitation, it all just fits into the mix. I will say that the way that it's mixed in this movie uh-huh. is very, very strange. Yes. It really feels like uh like, like Santiago d- delivered a movie and said, here's your kung fu movie, just like you wanted, and Roger Corman watches like, well, it's very boring, and there's no tits in it. So let's go back and fix all that, and then we'll release it. I, though it feels like before, then the movie must have been like 60 minutes long. Uh, there's a reason that this movie, I believe, internationally in the uh, in the UK at least, it's called Naked Fist because there are there are a couple of notable scenes that feel very much outside of the central plot that involve Jillian Kestner. Uh, Getting naked or near naked, yes, and, and they they feel like you could easily excise them, and you'd have no trouble following the plot. There's nothing kind of essential to what you're seeing here, but uh, but yeah, they're certainly there. <laughs> well, let's drill in on those. Uh, the first one is
0: a chase scene, and um, you know, uh, you sort of already said that they feel sort of out of place. Um, I found th- at, at least this one. Completely jarring, like it dropped in from another movie. Uh, for those who haven't seen the film, there's a moment where she's being chased through, I guess it's a warehouse. Um, and not she's only. Wa- so,
1: first she's walking down the street, yes, right? She, and yes. just, she's just, it was after a date or something like that. She's just walking right. down the street, and two men start to uh, but, harass her. Okay, but
0: here's, so we're already off the chain because these are two white men. In a movie that is almost entirely dominated by Filipino extras. so and suddenly, they're also not, they don't work for the bad guy. They just happen no, to be bad guys. They're just random dudes who are going to harass her. And at this point in the film, we've already seen her single-handedly knock out 12 men. Yep. But two guys in mullet show up, and she is very afraid. And in the course of their fight her clothes just get ripped off. And 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 I, I you know, I'm assuming also they're attacking her probably for sexual violence, but it's not clear. It's just all of a sudden clear that like they're trying to get her and she is able to defend herself, but not with the same aplomb she was when they were 12 Filipino men. And it really feels like a scene from a different movie, like oh, an yeah. entirely separate kind of rapey movie, that is not the movie we were watching. They also, I- by the
1: way, those those guys they kill a cop, um, yep. <laughs> in the process of like brutally murder him. Yeah, I mean, it feels completely out of a different kind of movie, especially because everything up to that point and this mo- I can't remember how far into the movie that scene happens, maybe forty minutes. You could probably get a PG rating up to that point. There's Agreed. violence, but there's no graphic violence. It's just punch kick stuff. It's very much a traditional sort of martial arts movie. And then suddenly there's this gore. Because uh, even in that sequence, uh, she pushes one of the, those guys' face into a bandsaw. You don't see it, but it happens off screen. But suddenly this movie kicks up from PG to R rated with nudity and extreme violence all at once. Yeah, it's a. Uh, It it definitely feels like an addition.
0: It's just funny because it's one thing to not get the tonal feel of the rest of the movie and throw this thing in that just doesn't feel like the movie itself, but also to have so little care for, like, are we still in Hong Kong and or the Philippines, whichever place we're supposed to be? Because not only are these two random mulleted men, these random, like, sort of street-tough white dudes, the cop, also an Anglo gentleman... Where are we? It it literally the the scene feels like she took a brief flight to New York, then starred in a like a really sketchy like a Forty Second Street you know ruffy film, and then flew back to. Hong Kong slash Manila, whatever it is she's supposed to be.
1: I mean, now that you mention it, it is very funny to think of this being Hong Kong, where it's, again, look, it's the one in this small city, because it doesn't take, I mean, if it takes place in Hong Kong, it must be a smaller area. It's not a big, major city that you're no. in. And she's walking down the street, and these two white guys, and again, a, a white cop in Hong Kong? Yeah, you're right, it is kind of strange.
0: It's just it's just off-putting, and then you take the fact, the, the not caring about the details, and then add on top of it, tonally, it doesn't make sense, it kicks Up the violence, it again, this is not a film until we get to the second clearly shot later scene. This is not a film that is really that interested in sexuality. It's aware that our star is attractive, you know, and certainly in some of the fights, you could say it's shot in a way where she looks attractive, but this is leering. This is all of a sudden the audience is like, Yeah, all right, like the camera is very much like. Uh, uh, taking on a different view and it's you know reading that it was not directed by uh, Santiago was like not a surprise at all it was just of course it was of course it was completely shot later by a different director it it legitimately took me out of the film and I that's when I learned that they were shot by someone else because I had to look it up like why is this in this movie what is happening right now I mean, Um,
1: uh, there's a rather dubious piece of IMDb trivia about that sequence here, which says... The fight scene where Jillian Kessner's bra was sliced off was a legitimate accident while filming. Director nope. Sergio Santiago decided to leave it in the movie while he, editing.
0: He did not even film that sequence. Come on, get out of here. There's <laughs> no way. I, I Similarly, uh, again, in a, in a separate place, I read, and I think you read as well, that the sex scene, uh, she has an extended sex scene with mm-hmm. her uh, uh, co-star, who's also the bad guy, um, that... that that also and was the co-writer filmed. let's yeah, not forget yeah <laughs> and co-writer of the film that that was also filmed later and inserted in and I, and i kind of believe it as well it's it's a weird scene right with the with the knife play and the stripping of it all and i don't know what how did you feel was that sex scene did that 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 uh twist your little canadian knobs or
1: were you like uh, what the fuck is going on right now i was all i could think about was i mean she came to his apartment in those clothes what the fuck is she going to wear to leave that yeah. apartment? <laughs> Cut up all of her clothes, right? <laughs> you don't necessarily store some backup pants at a guy's place in the thought that he's going to chop him up with a knife. Uh, I mean, look, it, we're not unfamiliar with these kind of movies. It's just in this movie, it feels out of place because you went from that scene earlier where she's having her topless fight scene. And then the movie just goes back to normal, and it gets kind of PG-rated again. And then he just goes back to something that, that is R-rated. It just feels very inconsistent. I mean, you you kind of – if you're watching a sleazy movie, you kind of want it to be sleazy all the way through. You don't want it to turn, to turn into a kid's movie like three-quarters of the way through. It just would really kind of be jarring, and that's what this is a, a, a bit in this movie. Though I have to say, after that earlier scene has already occurred, this part was less jarring for me. Um, See, Mike? My- my issue,
0: yeah. and I feel this way about some of the other films that you referenced that were like the category three films that mix martial arts and and, and sexy times, mm-hmm. is I just don't find them that sexy, Doug. Like, yeah, I, well, I,
1: this isn't very sexy, but no. that has <laughs>
0: that
1: that has to do with a lot of factors, including uh, Ken Metcalf looking absolutely ridiculous. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent,
0: and and also I do think it's funny. And maybe I've been, you know, and I'll straight-up name, maybe I've been spoiled by the existence of and availability of actual pornography. But these, like, these slow strip films where it's like, uh, oh, now he's cutting their shirt off and whatever, whatever. But then, like, we can't see, the, you know, the fake sex can't have anyone with their legs too far apart because that, that would actually push us into X realm. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, yeah. still rules for your sexiness. I'm always, like... Why is what are we even doing here? I just don't find this that interesting, um, and and you know and maybe that's I don't think our our two stars are that hot. You know, may, maybe there are other scenarios here going on, but but for me, the scene feels awkward, and so I'm just left sitting there watching this awkward thing, being like. I'd rather them be fighting right now. And then I do get them fighting later, but uh, it's just it, it it took me out of the movie, Doug, a movie that only barely had my attention in the first place.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's also the the kind of other shitty layer to it, which is that she made this movie where she didn't have to get naked, right? Exactly. This is a movie exactly. without those sex scenes. and then after it's done, after she's completed the movie, they're like, well, this isn't marketable. If you want it to be marketable so people will see it, you need to strip down. And so then they have to add these scenes. She didn't like like doing it. She didn't want to do it. And she felt this obligation for probably everybody else, including herself, to get that movie scene. And uh, reportedly, according to the IMDb, uh, she sa- it says that she was also irritated that there was more men on the set those days than usual, which is such a creepy fucking thing, which we've heard a thousand times it. in I a thousand it. different movies. Uh, so um, we know that, uh, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, that... That Sergio Santiago didn't film those scenes that Alan Holzman, the director of Forbidden World, also a Roger Corman production, he directed it instead. But, you know, it's just it feels sleazy like it's a sleazy scene, but it feels sleazy because it you kind of do get that impression that she doesn't want to do it. I agree. And, and I think, you know... <sighs> It's tough
0: because we've said that we don't find her super compelling as a martial arts star per se, at least not in this film. But I, I'm sure as an act as an actor at the time, she probably felt this was a commentary in her performance, right? Like that she's not carrying the film with her performance, that she has to uh, make this choice whether she's comfortable with it or not. You know, and 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 I, you know, I want to be clear: if she was comfortable with it, this takes on a different. Feel right, then it's like okay. Well, they decided to go in a different direction, but instead, it it feels like she's being pressured to do something she doesn't want to do, and I'm sure that comes across as a commentary on her performance as well, and that makes me sad. Even though I, you know, I don't think uh, her fight scenes are super great. You know, I don't like this that feeling that she probably felt of like this is what I have to do to get this movie to even be seen. You know. I mean, you're
1: the star of the movie, right? Right. There are a lot of expectations on you. But if you were in in the back of your mind, you're like, look, I know I'm working for Roger Corman. I know I'm going to the Philippines. I know this is a low budget. But this could launch me to a series of movies where I'm the star. So if I've got to do these things, and again, I don't think this was the first time that she appeared nude on film. uh, But it must be very kind of disheartening to think, now people can take me seriously for more than that. And then for it to kind of backslide afterwards. And who knows, maybe, and again, I don't wanna to be too knock against Roger Corman too much. Obviously I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work generally, but he is exactly the kind of guy who would be like, oh yeah, we're, we're gonna be, be putting this in there afterwards. Like he had plans right from the beginning to do it. We just need to get this other stuff filmed first very cheaply, and then we can add these seeds in later.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit before we get to our man Vic Diaz about some of the other performances in the film, which, as you pointed out, uh, have a you know there there's some real uh, strong performances and some performances that maybe are a little bit weaker.
1: Yeah, do you want me just to point out any in particular? I mean, there's. (laughs) There isn't a lot to say. The big baddie, I can't even remember who, who what his character's name exactly, is. Exactly, um, exactly. I mean, he is a completely complete non-entity and is not very good in this movie. And in fact, a lot of the supporting performers are a little weak, including Ken Metcalf, who... I. He does seem like he probably is a martial artist. I'd have to imagine that if you're going to have multiple scenes where you're just showing off your skill, you must have some actual experience with it. But he's but- such a dead point. He's, uh, to me,
0: he's not compelling either as a fighter or as an actor. He's, it, it, he comes across to me like a null point in the film. I just don't get much from him at all in either direction.
1: Yeah, by the way, I just looked it up. He's also in Angel Fist as well, so that's... Of course, awesome. (laughs) Um, I think he's very convenient to have in a movie like this, because it appears that he was stationed, uh, you know, living in the Philippines at the time. So, I mean, it probably was taking advantage of that fact in terms of what was available. I posted a scene from this film. It's a very short one where Ken Metcalf's character comes into the bar where uh, the lead... uh, the, I don't think we've even said her name, Suzanne Carter, played by Jillian Kessner. She's in there. He's already wooing her a little bit. But she has like a, a, a circle of friends that she has, including a bartender or maybe even the owner of the bar there. And they have a little back and forth. And the dialogue is awful. But the acting is even worse. They're so stiff. It's very high school play. It's just a lot of really weak performers in here. Uh, I did say earlier, I wanted to point out Ray Malonzo. Uh, Ray Malonzo was a Filipino martial artist who was in a bunch of Bruce Playtation movies in the nineteen seventies. He was like a and there's there was multiple Filipino Bruce Lee lookalikes who made a series of films throughout the that decade and he was one of them and he really does look a lot. He looks a lot more like Bruce Lee than a lot of the more famous uh, Bruce Lee imitators. Yeah. Um and he actually went on to be uh the mayor of Calicoon, uh, the city of Calicoon for th- uh three consecutive terms. So I mean he had a very long um, I, I don't know how beloved or how good he was as a mayor uh, throughout the 1990s, but I mean, right up until the early 2000s, uh, he was the, the a mayor in Manila. Uh, that was after his his film career, but. Yeah, he, even up to 1979, he starred in a film called They Call Him Bruce Lee. And in this movie, he does some of his Bruce Lee-style fighting. And it is very impressive. And, and it, actually, what I really got out of Firecracker is, I want to see more of these Ray Belonzo Bruce Lee movies.
0: Agreed, agreed. He, and really, there's a few other people in the film that I don't think are, are so bad. I, I actually kind of liked the bar owner slash bartender, the giant dude. <laughs> I kind of like that guy. I, I found him kind of charming. But for the most part, I, you know... It, it, Again, we don't want to be disrespectful to Julian Kessner per se, but for me, this is Ray Milonzo's movie. Like he, <laughs> he's in like four scenes in the I entire- know. And he you whenever he's there, like when he shows up to save the day, you're like, finally, the hero's arrived. Like he is, for me, the most compelling part of the movie.
1: You know, uh I thought they were gonna tease a romantic subplot. I did as well. I did and as her. Well. But no, he just kind of disappears about halfway through the movie yeah, until the very it's, end.
0: It's a shame because his fighting is so much better than anyone else's in the film. Um, and they underuse him. But when he is there, he's just... he. You pay attention to what he's doing. Um, you know, maybe in a movie where there were a ton of uh, great performers, I might feel a little less impressed. But in this film, he seems magical compared to the other fighters in this film. Um, he's not given a lot to do acting-wise other than fighting, but the scenes he's in, he's still pretty good. You know, you notice that he's pretty good. And so, I don't know, I... I I'm not a big fan of those um, Bruce Ploitation films. It's not like one of my strong suits as a martial arts guy, but I might try to see him anyway because I, I, I just think he's I just think he's a fun fun actor, fun performer, and I want to see more from him.
1: There is there will be more opportunities for us to see him because he worked with Vic Diaz a few other times. One I know about is actually another Sergio H Santiago film called Eye of the Eagle. From 1987, which has Vic Diaz, Ray Milonzo and stars, uh, this might be a surprise, Robert Patrick. Whoa,
0: okay. Yeah,
1: that's right, from 1987, so pre-Terminator uh, 2. Yeah, eventually we'll get to Eye of the Eagle.
0: We're not here just to discuss underwhelming martial arts films from the 80s, though we We're do not. discuss a lot of them. <laughs> We're here specifically because of one man, Mr. Vic Diaz. I want to know, Doug, what did you think of Vic Diaz's performance in this film?
1: I mean, this is a very much of a Vic Diaz performance, right? Where he is kind of a slimy underling. Um, he is not taken very seriously, even though he has a lot of connections in the area. In this case, he is sort of the Filipino connection to a lot of the underworld uh, drug trade and weapon trade that's going on in this area. So the Big Boss and uh, and Ken Metcalf's character, they're kind of using him to a certain extent. And we find out at the end that they actually have been stealing their own shipments uh basically to to take over the connections that this guy already has but i think vic diaz is a lot of fun in it there's a great sequence where he's trying to get information from suzanne carter uh, the lead actress uh, jillian kessner's character uh using a snake it doesn't really go very far and he doesn't have a ton to do but you do get to see him be very frustrated in a very comical way so yeah i had a lot of fun with vic diaz in this movie
0: i gotta agree i mean i think one of the things we're learning is that we never get quite as much Vic Diaz as we would like. Uh, you know, Vic, Vic is what brought us here, and it's very rare to get a ton of him. I but, was
1: very concerned in that first sequence where he's um, he's doing, like, a drug deal, um, and they get uh, shot at. I thought he might get killed in that one scene. That we get no more Vic Diaz in the entire movie. It would have been
0: such a bummer. Um, but, you know, I feel like what we do get of him here, it is some of the stuff that kind of— I remember him for and it's compelling and uh you know even in a movie that is this like uh white man playing in the Philippines kind of movie uh and maybe this is because it was directed by Santiago. There's not a lot of embarrassing bits for our man Vic Diaz either. He, sure, he's a villain who gets double crossed, but I still feel pretty good about it. You know, I feel like it's a pretty good role, uh, even if it's ne- not quite as big as I would like. Um, yeah, I felt really good about it, and I, and I felt like, as usual, he often finds a way to take what is a not large role and make it memorable. Then I'm sure someone coming to this movie not knowing who he was probably remembers him more than some of the other people in this movie that were very forgettable to say the least.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, he's very memorable in this movie and we talked about some of the weaker performances in this film generally. Of the three baddies that we spend significant time with, he is by far the best performer.
0: I agree, I agree. Uh, okay, well, That is uh, Firecracker. No, no,
1: there's one more thing I think we should talk about before we finish. Oh, sure,
0: yeah, go ahead. Which
1: is the poster for Firecracker, which is this incredible... Painted wow. Right. visage with this giant rock fist with an eagle on it, with Jillian Kessner in front in a martial arts pose with all these flames. Basically, it looks like it t- takes place in hell uh, with the word firecracker, with the, the firecracker word smashing in the middle with she'll blow you away underneath it. It is an incredibly memorable poster that this movie in no way could ever live up to.
0: Okay, let's be clear about something. This blonde woman is not... <laughs> <laughs> Julian Kressner. Like that's not her. And you know what the what it makes me think of? I mean, this movie came out when this is 82 or 83.
1: 81 this movie.
0: 81. Is. Okay. So this is close enough to the 70s. This looks like a 70s poster for something, for some over the top like screwball crazy whatever. It it looks like uh, you know a, a, an insane 70s adventure movie to me, which is not what this movie is.
1: Not only does this movie in no way live up to the poster, it is almost false advertising how different it is from the tone and the feel of the movie you're going to see, though I have to say, if I saw this VHS tape with this cover uh, on a shelf, I would have to rent this movie. (laughs) I mean,
0: you know that our vibe with Rough Cut uh, is that we pick movies we love and then Justin creates new art, right? He creates brand new visuals. This is the sort of thing that some other bootlegger should do because this movie doesn't justify this image, but this image justifies a shirt. They should be on a fucking shirt and I would wear it. And when someone said, what is that movie? I'd say, don't worry about the movie.
1: Just appreciate the shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, it's when it comes to firecracker and what you should take away from it. There's really only two things. One, That there are extra scenes in it which involve nudity that are obviously separate from the entire plot of the movie proper. And the other thing is that it has a poster that is absolutely unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. Well, on our next episode, we're going to be talking about a film that doesn't have an unbelievable poster. It actually has a truly terrible poster. And that is 1993's Live by the Fist.
1: Yeah, Live by the Fist, also directed by Serio H. Santiago. I didn't mean to do that. and I was actually um, thinking about picking a different film simply because we don't usually double up when it comes to directors. But the fact is, a lot of films that feature Vic Diaz, at least ones that are available to us kind of fairly easily, were directed by a handful of different directors. So yeah, Live by the Fist from 1993. Supporting uh, actor in this film, George Takai.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited. And, you know, let's just embrace it. We are a Vic Diaz podcast. But by extension, we're also a Serio H. Santiago podcast. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Uh, Hey, Doug, if people want to hear more about Serio H. Santiago, or anything else uh, interesting related to film, where can they find more of us and our friends?
1: Well, you can always find the latest episode of Cinema Smorgasbord over at cinepunks.com, or if you want to check out all of our archived episodes, including all of the previous episodes of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, you can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com. From there, you can also subscribe via iTunes or Apple or wherever you get your your podcasts, uh, including Spotify. And if you wanted to leave us a review at the same time, we'd really appreciate that. Every little bit helps. And always tell a friend if you're enjoying one of our shows. Speaking of those shows, there's a lot of different topical shows over at cinemasmorgasbord.com, including... We do our own stunts, a podcast devoted to the life and career of Jackie Chan. Uh, There's a a podcast devoted to Steve Buscemi, to Cal Kane, as well as our beloved podcast, uh, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, and more over there. Check it out at cinemasmorg.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorg, that's S-M-O-R-G. You can also follow Liam on Twitter, that's Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, or if you'd like, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Thanks so much, Doug. And
0: we want to thank you for listening. Feel free to uh, not only check out the website, but check out our Patreon. See if that might be a community you want to be a part of. Uh, And we want to ask you to join us back here next time for further adventures in the cinematic world of Vic Diaz. Night, folks. Good night.